0: Hey everyone, my name is Adam. Welcome to the Chestnut Ridge Church Podcast. At the end of today's talk, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope that today's talk will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others why don't we take a minute to pray before we jump into our topic this morning heavenly father we're again grateful that you're in charge of everything lord even this covid 19 did not catch you by surprise and and i even rejoice that you're using it in ways oh lord to bring about some wonderful things in people's lives Uh, we just acknowledge you as the king of kings and lord of lords and the one to whom we can continually turn We ask you, Lord, today that you speak to us through our time together, Lord. Just open our hearts to hear what you would want to say to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that um, we are inquisitive by nature. I think this is how God created us to be. Uh, If you're a parent, you know that almost as soon as children learn to talk, they begin asking questions. Of course, the the main question they ask is, why? Why? why this you you know why do i need to wash my hands because they're dirty why because you were playing with your toys why well there are germs on the toys and we get to answer these questions and sometimes it can be overwhelming and then when we get older i think sometimes when we get to our teenage years or early 20s i think we sometimes go through a phase where we think we know it all and i know certainly i i went through that phase in fact at one point my dad just looked at me and he said you're just proud And it's because I thought I knew so much. When you get older, you begin to discover you don't know anything at all, hardly. A lot of the things that you grew up thinking were true, you discover were not true after all. And although I think we know more as we get older, uh, we understand in a greater way that we don't know hardly anything at all. But that shouldn't keep us from asking questions. And today we're beginning a new series titled Hard Questions. And during this series, we want to be answering four specific questions, one each week. Uh, Today's question is, what is the meaning of life? Next week, we want to talk about what is truth and whether truth is knowable. Then we want to talk about why God allows suffering. And then the fourth week, and I think it'll be the most controversial week, and it's different than the first three, is we want to ask the question, should Christians be involved with politics? So I don't think you'll wanna miss that particular week. But today I would like to attempt to answer the question, what is the meaning of life? It won't be the only answer perhaps, but I think it's the main answer. What is our reason for existing? What is our purpose? Why are we here? And this is a fundamental question that I think all of us wonder as we're going through life. What's, What's it all about? I googled this question, what is the meaning of life, and was a little bit surprised by the answers I received. First of all, I was surprised by just how many different answers there were. Philosophers, theologians, writers, different ones had various opinions. They were coming at the question from different angles, and there were just a lot of different answers to the question. But the thing that surprised me even more was the fact that, that some people, or many people, didn't think there was any meaning at all. One author summarized it in this way, life has to be given a meaning because of the obvious fact it has no meaning. You know, you have to give it meaning because it doesn't, it doesn't come with meaning. The, the author and novelist, Michael Crichton, used one of the characters of his book to answer this question. He said, the purpose of life is to stay alive. Watch any animal in nature. All it tries to do is stay alive. It doesn't care about beliefs or philosophy. Whenever any animal's behavior puts it out of touch with the realities of its existence, it becomes extinct. Now, if there is no God and we're just merely animals, then I would say his answer was right. Your main goal in life would be just to survive and hopefully you will enjoy your survival. You know, it's survival of the fittest. Charles Schultz of Peanuts fame and Charlie Brown, he is quoted as saying, I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know why we were here. I think life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It has a lot of grief in it and it can be very grim. And I do not want to be the one who tries to tell somebody else what life is all about. To me, it's a complete mystery. So the question is, can we know the meaning of life? Schultz said, I don't don't want to try to tell people what it is. So where do we go to answer this question? Well, this morning, I'd like to look at what I consider the wisest man to ever live apart from Christ had to say about this subject. I asked in my own mind, where in the Bible would I turn to the answer to this question, what is the meaning in life? And by the way, this is a good question we should all have about a lot of things in life if we're wondering the answer to questions, you know. Where should I go to get the answer in the Bible? And Solomon wrote a book that I think was specifically written to answer this question. Now, I wanna mention right up front that I think it's the most discouraging book in the Bible. I mean, the book of Lamentations could give it a run for its money. You know, a lamentation is an expression of sorrow or mourning. It's like a funeral dirge. And and so we got one book in the Bible that's just named Lamentations. You know, it's a funeral dirge. But I think the book of Ecclesiastes is even more discouraging, at least if you casually read the book. Ecclesiastes begins in this way the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility, everything is futile. What a depressing way to begin a book, especially a book of the Bible. The word futility here means empty or unsatisfactory or meaningless. Solomon was saying everything is meaningless, everything is empty. Now, I want us to understand right up front that this is not where he concludes the book. In fact, reading it carefully, you come to understand that what his main point is that the things that most people turn to for meaning in life do not provide meaning in life. And this morning, I want to look at some of the things that he had to say about it because Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like Solomon's journal. He explored a lot of things. God gave him extraordinary wisdom and insight about a lot of different things, and and he began to explore life. You know, what is the meaning in life? What is it all about? And so this, again, is, I think, a perfect book to to figure out the answer to the question. So what did Solomon conclude? Well, before I get to his conclusion, I want to look at some of the places that he concluded were not the answer to the question. Not, don't look at this place or don't go over here. The first one is that he concluded that meaning is not found in wealth. Now, I think a lot of people, I think this is their purpose in life, years ago I read a survey of college students that indicated that the vast majority of them, I think it was like 78%, their number one answer for why they were going to college was to earn money. Like that was their goal in life. Solomon, without a doubt, was one of the richest men who ever lived since the beginning of time. He might have given Bill Gates a run for his money. He had everything. He had cattle and horses and clothes and silver and gold and palaces. He, w- he had just so much wealth. In fact, in his day, there was so much gold and silver that silver, the lesser of the, the metals, was worthless. It was considered like common stones in Solomon's day, and so you realize he had a lot of wealth. In Ecclesiastes 2, 7 and 8, Solomon wrote, I owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces in his day, people just brought treasures to Jerusalem. And so he was incredibly wealthy. And this is important for him to be the, the one to answer this question. And the reason that's the case is that in order to answer the question whether or not wealth is the answer, you've got to have it. I wouldn't be someone that could really answer that question definitively. I, I would say, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't have wealth. But Solomon was one who had more wealth than a person can imagine. And he concluded the answer was not there. In Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, he said, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. This too is meaningless Solomon, like many before him and many after him, concluded that it's really not what life is about. Now, don't misunderstand what Solomon is saying here. Solomon was not saying that wealth is bad. In fact, if it's a choice between being wealthy or being poor, choose wealthy. I mean, wealth is not bad. What he was saying here is that it's not the key to life. It's not where we turn for meaning. You say, well, what's wrong with making wealth the goal of our lives? Well, Solomon noted a, a number of things about this. First of all, he noted that money can't buy intangible things like sleep. You know, money can't buy happiness. It can't buy joy. It, it can't buy sleep. You can buy a nice bed, but it can't buy a refreshing night of sleep. In fact, Solomon noted that it often has the opposite effect. He said in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 12, the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. All the things he has to deal with, the mind is racing all the time. He says, you know, you're going to have trouble sleeping. The more you have, you're going to have trouble sleeping. Solomon also noted this about wealth. You can't take it with you. In Ecclesiastes 5.15, we read about those who have wealth. That's who he was describing in this verse. He said, as he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. He was basically saying, you know, you came in this world with absolutely nothing, not even clothes. You just came with nothing at all. And when you leave, you're gonna leave in exactly the same way. And so if this is our goal of accumulating wealth, you leave it all behind. Solomon talked about this as well in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19. He said, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. By the way, this truth that we can't take it with us should be motivation for us as Christians to seek first the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of this earth. This is what Jesus said. He said, Don't store up treasures on this earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. He said, store up treasure in heaven where the moths can't get to it, where no one can steal it. Invest in things that last for all eternity. Invest in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Solomon alluded to something else in his book of Ecclesiastes about wealth, and that is that the more you have, the more you have to take care of. You got to manage all of this. And again, I'd rather be wealthy than poor, but if this is our goal in life, if this is where we're turning for meaning, It falls short. He says it's futile. So if it's not found in wealth or money, maybe it's found in something else. Solomon discovered that meaning is not found in pleasure. Solomon wondered if maybe this is the goal in life, simply to enjoy ourselves. He put it this way in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 10 All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any. Pleasure. Of course, nobody could stop Solomon from whatever he wanted to do. He had the power and the authority and the wealth. He had the means to do anything he wanted to do, and so he gave himself to pleasure, including having about 1,000 women in his life. He thought, maybe this is it. I just give myself to everything I enjoy doing. But in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 and 2, he said this, I said to myself, go ahead I will test you with pleasure. In other words, I'll experiment with this. He said, I will enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness. And about pleasure, what does it accomplish? Now, I think we all enjoy relaxing. I think we all enjoy pleasurable things. And once again... It's not wrong to enjoy pleasure. I think we are to enjoy this life. Paul even said that to Timothy. He says, you know, God has given us wealth for enjoyment, and so we can enjoy ourselves. But if that's the purpose in life, it falls short. How many people do we read about who seem to give themselves to pleasure? They're famous people. You see them at parties. They look like they're enjoying themselves and then they end up taking their own lives because they discover it was kind of kind of meaningless pleasure i think again can help us it's certainly better than pain in our lives but it's futile solomon said if you turn to it for your meaning for your purpose in life ultimately as an end in itself it does not satisfy it can't provide meaning So where else did Solomon look if it's not in wealth or pleasure? Well, he thought, well, maybe it is about attaining knowledge or wisdom, you know, intelligence, education, study, those kinds of things. And so he decided, I'll just keep learning and learning and learning. What did he discover? He discovered that meaning is not found in acquiring knowledge. In Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 18, we read, I said to myself, look, I've amassed wisdom far above all who were over Jerusalem before me. He said, I was wiser than them all. By the way, he's not being proud here. God gave him extraordinary wisdom, more wisdom than anyone before him or after him. Now, he didn't always, by the way, live wisely, but he knew a lot He goes on to say, I knew, I amassed wisdom above, far above those who were before me in Jerusalem, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow, as knowledge increases, grief increases. I think it was probably Solomon here who was the first one that might have said ignorance is bliss. That he discovered that knowing things sometimes is, it causes grief, it causes hardship, it makes life worse. Let me give you an example. I used to enjoy bacon more than I do now. I mean I still like the taste of bacon but I discovered it's got so much fat, it's got so much salt, it's got so much nitrates. When you discover all the bad things about eating bacon as well as other things, suddenly it's like hard to enjoy those things. The person who says, I wanna know what's going on in the world today, and so they turn on the TV and they watch news and they, they go online and they look at their various Twitter feeds and Facebook and they see all the things that are happening. Does that bring joy? Or does that lead you to be discouraged or depressed? Sometimes it's better not to know certain things. Also, though, Solomon concluded that the pursuit of knowledge is is endless. A lot of students will appreciate Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 12 where Solomon said, but beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of books and much study wearies the body. You'll never get to the end of it. This is what I think he meant earlier, by the way, when he said it's like a chasing after the wind. You can never quite catch it. It's always just beyond your reach. There's always more to know. And then, of course, what good is it in one sense if you take it to the grave? Solomon acknowledged that both the wise person or the knowledgeable person and the fool both die. Again, it's kind of depressing, but he said in Ecclesiastes 2.14, yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. Now, knowledge and wisdom, again, are wonderful things. Education is a wonderful thing, but as a goal in life, it is futile. It's it's certainly better to know than to not know so many things, but it's not our purpose in life to just learn. So maybe it's something else. Maybe our purpose in life is found through our achievements. Solomon concluded that it wasn't. He concluded, meaning is not found in our accomplishments. Now, of the four we've looked at so far, to me, this is the one that I saw most reflected online when people were asked, what's the meaning of life? It had to do with what we accomplish in life, you know? We accomplish certain things, we build certain things, and many times there's a tangible evidence that our life mattered. You know, people build a building, they put their name on that building. When they die, people continue to remember the person. And so maybe this is where where it is. Maybe our goal in life is to leave this world a better place than we found it. And I I think these are all positive things in a sense. These are good things. And certainly I have to admit that accomplishments or achievements can be satisfied. I think they even add meaning to our lives. They make our lives many times worthwhile. But is this the ultimate goal of our lives? Is this where we look for meaning in lives, life? I don't think so. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 4, he said, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. But then he wrote in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 2, a few verses later, he said, when I consider all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, elsewhere he talks about the fact you you, you you build all these things, but you can't enjoy all these things. Somebody perhaps builds several palaces like Solomon had. You can't enjoy them all at once. Even one palace with all its rooms, you can only enjoy one room at a time. Most of the things we achieve, we can just look at. But there's something else about our achievements, and, and that is that that we, again, we can't take them with us. It's a chasing after the wind. You never quite achieve enough. One of my favorite Bible commentators writes about this. His name was Warren Wiersbe. He says, Solomon exalted diligence and condemned laziness for he knew that any honest employment can be done to the glory of God, but work alone cannot satisfy the human heart no matter how successful that work may be. He ultimately said, I accomplished all these things, but I still felt empty, empty. it did not satisfy me. Because ultimately, by the way, if, if our goal is life accomplishments, what happens when we get older? What happens when we can no longer accomplish things? What happens with those who even go through life and they don't have the ability to do certain things? Is our value, our worth, our meaning attached to what we accomplish? No, there are other things. So what is it if it's not these things? If it's not wealth, if it's not pleasure, if it's not knowledge, if it's not accomplishments? Solomon concluded that our meaning in life has to be tied to the fact that we were created By God. The meaning is found by being properly connected with our God and walking in step with Him. All these other things cannot replace that. All these other things, in a sense, become perhaps idols in our lives, and none of them can fully satisfy, but God can. In Colossians 2, verses 24 to 26, Solomon gives us the first hint of what matters. He said, there's nothing better than for man to eat and drink and enjoy his work, which I talked about before. It's okay to enjoy what we do. He said, I have seen that even this is from God's hand because, and here's the point, who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. In other words, all these other things come from him. But who can eat? Who can enjoy life apart from God? My main takeaway here today, therefore, is this. We were created by God and to have a relationship with God. We were created by God and to have a relationship with God. That is where our meaning comes from. Created by God, to be with God, for God. I'm convinced that there is no true or lasting meaning in life apart from God. Toward the end of the book, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1, he said, so remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you say, I have no delight in them. In other words, he said, you connect with your God while you're young so that when you get old... And you can't enjoy things anymore. You can't even taste well or smell well or hear well. You can't achieve other things. When you get older, you still will have God. And then he concludes his book in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. He says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. The word fear means to reverence God. Putting it a little bit differently, he's suggesting we have a life, we live a life where God is kept in his proper place. We were created by God, we were created to have a relationship with God, and if we don't understand this, I don't think other things will have meaning in life. Now, let me illustrate why this is the right answer and why this matters so much. You might have noticed on stage we have this this thing over here which you all recognize as a light bulb. Imagine for a moment that you didn't know what this thing was. Imagine for a moment that that you lived maybe 300 years ago and you've never seen a light bulb, and so you'd be wondering the question, what is this? for what is its purpose what's the meaning of this thing and and people would come out with different answers perhaps some people would think it's some a toy of some kind although it would easily break maybe they think it's some kind of an ornament maybe it's some kind of a decoration what is it used for and the question is how would you determine what it's for because this thing has one purpose one main purpose And what is this purpose? Well, in order to find the purpose, you'd wanna go to the person who made it. You'd wanna go to the company that made it. And if you could find the name of the company written on the bulb someplace, you'd go to that company, and you'd discover from that company that this bulb was created for one main purpose, and that was to give light. The bulb doesn't, in a sense, make any other sense apart from the reason for it's being created. I think the same thing is true about us. God created people differently than he created anything else. He created us with a a mind. He created us in his image. He created us with a personality. He created us with intelligence and, and morals and a conscience and an ability to communicate. He created us so that we could have a relationship with God and I think that's the main reason we were created. And apart from a proper connection with God, I don't think that we'll experience true meaning in life. We were created by God, we were created to have a relationship with God. So what do we do with this this morning? Well, if you're a believer in Christ, I wanna encourage you to make sure that you in your life keep this as the most important thing, that you focus on developing a relationship with God. In Micah 6 and verse 8, the prophet Micah said, mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to, he says, to act justly, to love faithfulness. That word there is said. It means a loyal love and to walk humbly with your God. That's what it's all about. It's all about a relationship, a relationship with our God, our creator, that then spills into other things. Now, I think even Christians these days lack meaning in life because they've made something else their focus. Maybe it has been for them wealth. Maybe it's been pleasure. Maybe it's been knowledge. Maybe it's been achievement of things. But when we make all these other things the focus in our life, we don't have meaning. And so if you're a Christian in life, I want to encourage you to develop this relationship with God. And I I think there are three ways that we do this in the best ways. Number one is prayer. Prayer is about talking with God and I encourage you to make prayer the priority in your life because all relationships grow through communication. And so we love God, we communicate with God, we grow in our love for God. Amen. Second, I think it's the, the, the word of God. I've been reading my Bible pretty consistently for about 45 years. You say, well, don't you know it by now? Yes, I do, but I don't read the Bible to know what it says. I read it because I learn about the God of the Bible. The more I read the Bible, the more I know what he's like, the better I connect with him. So we pray, we read the Bible, and then we associate with God's people. And I think this is important because everywhere in this world, you're going to hear other messages about what matters other believers in Christ will help us keep our focus in the right place. This is why we encourage you to get involved with groups and to be properly connected with other believers because they get us the focus in the right place. Now some of you here today perhaps don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you, you're not sure if you even have a relationship with God and for you, I encourage you to put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior as the starting point, to reach out to him. Why is this important? Well, because there's a thing called sin that comes between us and our Creator. Sin just means to miss the mark. Our God is holy and righteous and pure and we're not. And this thing called sin comes in the way. The problem is we can't fix that problem. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't even stop sinning if we wanted to. And God knew we couldn't fix the problem. God knew that we could not bridge the gap to Him. So God had sent His own son, Jesus, to come into this world specifically to take upon himself the sin of the world. He lived a sinless life, the Son of God and God the Son, so that he could die in our place and for our sin. And with the sin removed from us then, our relationship with our God could be restored. But how do we receive this forgiveness of sin, this removal of sin? Well, it's to put our trust in Jesus Christ to be our Savior to put our faith in Him to reach out to God and say I know I sin I need a Savior and today I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior I close with the most important verse in the Bible I think or the most famous at least John three sixteen. for God so loved the world He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's talk. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages, or you can download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.